Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. That's awesome. Love it. You know what's funny is I actually had never heard that before until like five years ago. Uh, and then like everyone said it and I'm like, oh, I should know that. He's risen indeed. Um, so awesome. It's a great day to be alive. Beautiful weather outside. Thank you, Jesus. So how many guys are going to be doing some Easter egg, like hunting or preparing for your kids? Anything like that this afternoon? Okay, awesome. Michelle, I love that. You're like, absolutely, I'm hunting eggs. Um, and you never get too old to, too old to hunt some Easter eggs. Uh, my dad was the king of this, by the way. When I was a kid, he had the best hiding spots for Easter eggs. I mean, his rule was this. You can see it without moving something. But it could be you could have to look up or you have to look down or you have to look from the side. But you'll be able to see it. It will be visible. But when, when we would walk out the door to the yard, you know, typically you see the eggs and the grass and stuff. Nothing. Like not one egg in sight. I'm like, wow, okay. And he's like, I hit 100. <laughs> okay, dad. <laughs> and so we were trained in the art of finding eggs, and we've continued that with our kids, and now we have the golden egg challenge, okay? So the golden egg has money in it, and so I hide it in a ridiculously difficult spot. Uh, so we did that yesterday, and one of them was hid underneath the deck in between two two-by-fours in the steps, propped up there with like a rock, and you couldn't even see it because it was so dark in there. But my daughter Jocelyn found it, so... They're good. They're good. When, when money and candy is involved, do not underestimate children, okay? But maybe you've had this experience before when you were a kid going Easter egg hunting. Maybe you went to a church or did an event, and you go out there, and you find all your Easter eggs, and you gather them up, and you're so excited, and like, this is the moment of truth. Yes. And you pop open the eggs to find that delicious candy, and you open, and it's empty. That's weird. So you open the next one, and it's empty. The next one, you're like, no! And then the mom comes in and says, oh, here's the candy. It was chocolate, so I didn't want it to melt. But here you go. But you had this moment of despair where you're like, what, what was this all for? Why am I here? And, uh, but, but it's a little disappointing, but then you get the candy, and you're okay. Maybe you've had a similar experience opening a gift for your birthday or for Christmas, and it's the last gift. And so you know what it is, or you think you do. And you're like, oh, this is it. This is the big one. All right, here I go. And you start opening the present, and it sucks. And then you, you want to be nice to the person who gave it to you, so you're like, oh, sucks. That's, that's awesome. I mean, you know, like, these keep my feet warm, you know, and I can wear them with shoes, and all sorts, thank you so much. And you're trying, like, not to get emotional because you're so disappointed. And then you're, like, mad at yourself because you're getting emotional by not getting the gift you wanted. 
Am I the only person who's experienced this? <laughs> you guys are like, that's just you, bro. Um, but so there's these moments in our lives where we have an expectation, and then we experience what the Bible calls hope deferred. So it means you have an expectation of something, you have hope about something, and then you get to that moment, and then it, it's not fulfilled, or it doesn't come to pass. And so you're sad, and the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's what it feels like. You're kind of sick to your stomach when you're, when you're disappointed in that way. And there's a lot of bigger disappointments that happen in life outside of Easter eggs and birthday presents. Um, you know, for instance, you could have been an Eagles fan this year. Um, that would have been sorely disappointing uh, to lose the Super Bowl. Um, but you guys, I know you guys are happy about that. Um, or, but it could be something even more serious than that. Maybe you got a new job and you're excited about it. And you're like, oh, this is it. This is the job of my dreams. And then it's terrible. And, like, it doesn't work out, and you have, like, a really angry boss or something. Or, um, or even, even harder than that, maybe um, you, you find your, your person, the, your one true love, and you move forward, you get married, and then come to find out that that marriage falls apart. Um, and so there's so many different degrees of hope deferred in our lives. But the Bible says this, the hope that Jesus brings... Romans 5 5 that hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts to confirm that he is faithful he is faithful to you and in a world that we live in today with a lot of that sickness that disappointment that that reaching and grasping for something and then and not being there we need some hope amen we need hope and Christ came for that purpose to bring hope to the hopeless. And so the title of my message this morning is Hope. Uh, we are at the climactic ending of Holy Week. So last week we talked about Jesus' suffering, right? And, and what he went through in order to get to the cross, the gospel story. You know, he was betrayed by his closest disciples. Um, he was turned over to the religious leaders who wanted to destroy him. And, and he was held in a mock trial and they falsely accused him. And they beat him and they took him before Pilate, the governor of that time. And they wanted him to be condemned to death. They wanted to get rid of this Jesus guy. And so uh, things just got worse and worse and worse. Talk about hope deferred. The Jewish people were expecting Jesus to be the Messiah. He was going to set them free from Roman oppression, right? And then they see him being brutally beaten with rods and, and whipped with the count of nine tails, a crown of thorn placed on his head, robe around him, mocked by the soldiers, and then carried across all the way outside the city, laid out, stripped, stripped completely naked upon that cross, nailed through his wrists and his feet and raised up. And there he was, Jesus, the sinless savior of the world, full of love in his heart for the people, the very people that crucified him. And in this moment, you would think that they would relent. But even then, they continued to mock him on the cross, saying, come down, prove to us you are who you are. And so Jesus yells out this cry of justice. And he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And then he says, 
it is finished. He breathes his last breath and he dies on the cross. Now this moment, the Bible says that the whole land was covered in darkness. And there was even an earthquake that took place to the, fo- to the fact that the, the Roman centurion who was guarding Jesus looked up at him and said, surely this was the son of God. Now for the Jewish people, the, the, the hope that had come. I mean, Jesus was, had thousands of people following him. He was teaching truth. He was healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons. And all this amazing joy and life and light was brought to the nation. And then in this moment, it seems as though that that light had diminished to a flicker. And then finally, snuffed out. So they took Jesus down off the cross, his body. Joseph's, Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And so they cleaned his body, they wrapped it, and they placed it in this tomb. And they rolled a stone over it. And then they asked Pilate, say, hey, can, can the religious, religious leader says, hey, can we set a guard with this tomb? Because his disciples said that he was going to rise from the dead. So we don't want them to come in and like steal him away, and it'd be worse than it was before. And Pilate's like, sure. So he sends this guard of Roman soldiers to seal the tomb and guard it. And so it seems as though this bright light that had come into the world was completely gone. But something happened. And I think a lot of times in our own lives, we can come to that place where it seems like all hope is lost. We, maybe we've been seeking for satisfaction and, and, and pleasure and, and to be fulfilled. And so we've been running after all of these different things for fulfillment. And maybe it's friendships or it's, it's, it's food or it's entertainment or it's something. And we're trying to fill a void and trying to be satisfied. And every time we grab hold of something, it's like grasping for the wind. It's like smoke. It just vanishes in our hands. Or maybe we've been searching for our purpose. Why am I here? What is, what is my significance? What is my value? And we're looking for a, a calling, some reason to live meaning in life, but it seems to elude us. Or maybe we're looking for acceptance or belonging, a place where people will love us for who we are, and we've yet to find that. Or we're looking for a mate, someone to share life with, and we've yet to find that. And we come to this place where we're like, man, I... I've got nothing left. It seems like there's no way forward. Well, let me tell you, there is hope. And it came through Jesus. Because on Sunday morning, when darkness had covered the earth, a bright light shined like lightning. It says it's white as lightning. And the guards who were guarding the tomb fell to the ground Like dead men, the earth quaked and the stone was rolled away and Jesus came to life. And he brought with him hope for this world. He brought with him life. John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, I came that you might have life. And not just life, but life to the full. Or life in all its fullness. Or life more abundantly. Jesus came to offer us 
life. And the enemy wants to get us to a place backed into a corner where we think there is no hope so that we will despair and we will give up. But Jesus is holding out hope to us. He's holding out life to us. Every moment of every day, he is present and he is good and he's proven it through the cross. So what is the fullness of life? What is this? What is he talking about? Life in all its fullness. So I want to look at three different longings of the human heart. And I think these are the deepest longings we have as human beings. And they're there for a reason. Because God put them there. Right? But we have longings within our heart. Number one is the longing for satisfaction. You know, you could call it pleasure. The pursuit of happiness. Would everyone agree that we would like to be happy? Yes? Everyone? Can you raise your hand? Yes, I would like to be happy. Okay, so the ones who didn't raise their hands, okay. That's, yeah, that's all you, man. <laughs> I would like to be happy. So there's this idea of satisfaction, right? We, we want to be fulfilled in life, and that's okay. Joy, we want to have joy in life. It's an internal longing. Every person feels it. Every person wants it. Number two is the longing for acceptance, for belonging, for love right? We all want to be loved. It's this desire to know and to be known, right? We want to know someone intimately and be known. And what, we're, what we really want is for someone to know everything about us, completely vulnerable, that we can be completely vulnerable with. They know all of our insecurities, all of our brokenness, all of our inadequacies. They know everything about us that's wrong or quirky or strange or all this stuff, right? But they know us completely, yet they love us completely, right? We long for that, to be fully known and fully loved. And then the third longing of the human heart is this desire, it's external, this desire for significance, purpose, meaning in life. We, we want our life to mean something. We want to make a difference. We want, uh, we want to be here for a reason, not just be here, right? And everyone has this. We, we have these desires, satisfaction, acceptance, meaning. We all want this. And the reason why is because we were created to have those things. We were made for those things. God created us in that way for wholeness and acceptance and purpose. We were made for it. It's just like, you know that we were made to eat because we got a stomach and a digestive system and we got teeth and the tongue and we have all these parts that we need to eat. It's proof that we were made and we have hunger, right? We get hungry. That, that desire is proof that we were made to eat. So the desire for significance, for acceptance, for meaning is proof that we were made for those things. Amen? That's why we have capacity for them. But Jesus came to fulfill all three of those longings. They're fulfilled in him. So let's look at number one. Satisfaction. Jesus wants our joy to be full. Jesus wants our joy to be full. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He wants our joy to be made full. So how does Jesus do that? How does he make our joy 
full. Well, it reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 5. There was this paralytic, a man who was paralyzed. He couldn't walk, right? And Jesus was teaching in this town, and his friends were going to take their paralytic, their paralytic friend to Jesus so he could heal him, right? So you have four friends. They're kind of carrying a mat with their friend on it. And they get to Jesus, he's in this house, and he's teaching, and there's a crowd in the house and outside the house, I mean, a lot of people there. And they're like, man, how are we going to get in there? And so they climb up on top of the roof with their friend. I'm sure the friend's like, don't drop me, don't drop me. And so they're climbing up onto the roof of this house with their friend on this mat, and then they rip a hole in the roof. And I just wonder what their paralytic friend was thinking. Like, guys, um, this is really embarrassing. Why, you know, why are you doing this? So they, they rip open this hole, and Jesus is in the house, you know, and the ceiling's falling down. Like, what is going on? And he's preaching. And so they rip this hole open, and then they begin to lower their paralytic friend down on this mat in front of Jesus, in front of this whole crowd. So everyone's watching. They're like, what is going on? And Jesus looks at the man, and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? Wait, that, I don't think, Jesus, who Jesus say? His disciples were like, Jesus said, I don't think that's right on the, on, on the map. I think he totally needs to be healed, just as I know. But Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus immediately spoke to the heart. Because the number one desire of the enemy is to weigh us down with shame, guilt, and condemnation so that we'll give up. Right? That's what he wants. And in those days, if you were sick, a lot of people believed it's because you did something wrong. Like you were a sinful person. So can you imagine the, the looks people gave him? Not because he was paralyzed, because they thought, oh, you must have done really something really bad. And that weight that he carried with him his whole life. And then in a moment, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that everyone is talking about, sees him and says, your, your sins are forgiven. And he speaks healing to his heart. And then later on, of course, because Jesus is awesome, he healed him as well. And it says that the man got up, took his mat, and started leaping and praising God all the way home. So why was he praising God? Why was his joy full? Was it because he was healed or was it because he was forgiven? I think it's probably both. But shame is this huge obstacle to satisfaction and fulfillment in our life. And Jesus, in a moment, because he is God, because of his grace, can forgive and remove that mountain so we have a way to him. And that's how he makes our joy full. We were made to be whole, yet we're all broken, right? We're all broken in this world. We, have our own, we all have our own issues. That's why God forgives, he heals, and he sets free. That's what Jesus came to do. He forgives heals, and he sets free. Isaiah 61. That's what he came for. The world offers us immediate gratification, physical pleasure, right? So we can feel satisfaction in a moment because we need it so desperately, whether it's through a phone or whether it's through entertainment or whether it's through something. And so it, it, it offers an immediate gratification, but it leaves us feeling empty 
because it's not enough, and it actually creates in us this insatiable appetite for more. Because once you start, you need, okay, it's not enough anymore. I need something more now in order for it to fulfill me. And so we just keep going until we can get fulfilled. We keep seeking. We keep grabbing after something so that our joy could be full. But it never will be. And not only that, but when we look after, when we go after counterfeits, it leaves us feeling ashamed and even more guilty than we were before. Because that wasn't what we were made for. God offers us Forgiveness, healing, and freedom, and it's pure. It's pure. We receive it. We're, f- we're fulfilled in him, but yet there's nothing to be ashamed about in that. Amen? Number two, so he, he came to fulfill that longing for satisfaction. Number two, that acceptance. Jesus made us accepted. He made us accepted. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Jesus wanted us to be a part of the family, no matter where we're at or what we're doing or how we're doing. Jesus is eager to adopt us in. Like we talked about last week, he wants us to be in the family. He wants us to belong here and to be fully known and fully loved. And we see this in the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. This woman uh, was caught in the very act of adultery. And the religious leaders dragged this woman in front of a crowd of people. And they tell, tell Jesus, hey, Jesus. I don't know how they got a hold of him, but they grabbed Jesus somehow, pulled him over there, and say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says that we should stone her to death. What do you say? So they put him on the spot. And Jesus, of course, being himself and amazing and wonderful, full of wisdom and grace, says to the men there with their stones, hey, he who is without sin, you can throw the first stone at her. So all the men think about that. And then they drop their stones, walk away. But Jesus comes to the woman. I mean, this is a public thing. I can't imagine how she feels. She's probably weeping, crying on the ground. Jesus comes to her. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She looks around. No one, Lord. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She was fully known. Her sin was out there for everyone to see. Jesus knew it. He knew the dirty deeds. He knew what was done in private. She was fully known, yet she was fully loved. Fully known, yet fully loved. And that's what Jesus does. That's what he offers us. We were made for loving relationship. The world offers love with conditions. Like, I'll love you if. I'll love you if you do X, Y, and Z. If you do these things, then, then I'll love you. Right? But that's, that's a conditional love. Or I love you because you're beautiful. What happens when they're not beautiful? I love you because of this, because of that, because of, it's based on conditions. It's based on circumstances. Jesus says, I love you unconditionally. 
My love remains, it is unfailing, and it will always be there. No matter how far you go, my love is right around the corner. No matter how many times we turn our back on Jesus, his arms are open. He's a good father. And he wants his sons and daughters to come home to him. So number two was that Jesus made us accepted. Number three, that longing for significance, value, meaning, identity. Jesus gave us identity and meaning. He told us who we are and what we're here to do. What our, what our purpose is. How awesome is that? John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave us the right to become his children. And he gives us an identity. You see this with Peter, right? Peter comes to Jesus. His brother invites him and brings him to Jesus and says, hey, this is the Messiah. You got to meet him, Peter. And so Peter comes and he's like, hmm. He goes over to Jesus and Jesus sees him and he goes, your name is Simon, son of John, which the word Simon means reed, like blown and tossed by the wind. Your name is Simon, son of John, but I'm going to call you Peter, Cephas which means a rock. He said, no, you're not, I don't think you're a reed. I think you're a rock. That's who you are. Immediately, first time he meets him, he tells him who he is. He says, you're a rock. And by the way, you think you're a fisherman, right? Well, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So he tells him who he is. He tells him, then this is what you're going to do. First time he meets him, this is who you are, and this is what you were made. This is who you are, and this is what you were made for. Matthew 22, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. God gives us clear direction. This is what you were made for, to know God and be known by him. He says in in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. This is what you were made for. Love me, love people, and let people know the good news. What's the good news? Hope has come. Hope has come. Life has come, and you can have that life. It's in Jesus. He made the way. We were made for purpose. The world offers us identity in what we do, right? When we're kids, what's the question that you ask kids? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be? And so we're, we're, we're taking vocation, job, or a career and work and, and making an identity that you are what you do. So if you lose your job, you lose your sense of identity, potentially. Christ tells us who we are first. You're a son and daughter of God, holy and beloved by me. And then what to do flows from that. What we do flows out of who we are. And that's what Jesus does. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're made to do good. How cool is that? That's what we were made for. Christ himself is our hope. He's our hope. It's not what he brings. It's who he is. Christ himself is our hope, and he is life. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me.
you have me, you have life. It's in him. I want to close with this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, this desire, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real way. Jesus is the real way. He's the real thing. So, no matter where you find yourself today, whether you're flying high in life, or whether you feel like you're at the end of your rope, or whether you're holding on to something for hope and you're losing your grip, or you've just lost hope. No matter where you are, Jesus died for you. He died for you. He loves you perfectly. Only he can satisfy the longing of the human heart. We were made for him. So what I want to do is I want to give everyone an opportunity. If you're in here today and maybe you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus in your life, you've never done that said, maybe you've been to church your whole life, but you've never said, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. I want to know him this way. Maybe you've known of him, but it's like, I want to know this. Well, you're talking about life. I want to know life. That's who I want to know. I want to give you guys an opportunity to make that decision today. The Bible says that if we believe in our, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will man believes in the righteousness of the mouth confession is made into salvation. So this is what I want to do. If everyone just could bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. If you're in here and you're, and you're saying, man, I want to do this. I want to make a decision. I want to choose to follow Jesus. Or, and maybe, or maybe it's coming back to him. Maybe you, you were following him at one point in your life where you're like, I need to come back. I need to make this real all in. I'm tired of just going halfway. I want to give it all to Jesus. I want to know him. If you're either one of those people, then what I'm going to do here, here in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a sign of faith. Just saying, God, I am choosing you in this moment. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed, if you're in here and you say, I want to make that decision, full of grace and mercy. He wants you to know the fullness of him. So this is what we're going to do. For those of you who raise your hands, we're just going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer. 
And this is a decision. It comes down to a decision saying, I just want to follow Jesus. And you're telling God that. That's what we're doing. You're just telling God, I want to follow you. Okay? So we're going to pray a prayer. If you can just repeat after me. Actually, everyone in here, if you could all just repeat after me um, this prayer. And, and just, this is between you and the Lord. And you say, okay, I'm making this decision. Let's pray this. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for forgiving me, for washing me clean, for accepting me in your family, for giving me purpose and hope. I choose today to put my trust in you, to put my hope in you, I want to follow you, Jesus, with all of my heart. Give me grace to take the next step in loving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. That's awesome. Now, listen, if you prayed that prayer and, and this is the first time or maybe, you know, like, again, you're just saying, hey, I'm, I'm coming back. We want to give you some resources. We want to give you some things that will help you. Uh, we have um, Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles up here. But also, uh, maybe you already have a Bible, but this book is excellent. It's how to follow Jesus. It's practical. It's down to earth. Like the author of the book, the first chapter, he talks about how the day after he accepted Jesus, he, you know, just had a hard time and it was rough and he thought everything was going to be completely different and and it wasn't and it was hard and he had this huge ar you know argument with his parents and all these different things happened he's like man you know where are you uh, it's a process of getting to know Jesus and, and him renewing our hearts and renewing our minds so uh, we would love to give this to you as well um, so what we're going to do is we're going to close with a song of worship I'm going to invite our prayer team up to the sides here and if you made that decision I would love for you to be able to come just talk to one of us and let us know. Uh, and we want to give you these resources uh, and just connect with you. And we want to walk alongside you so you're not alone in this. Because we can't do it alone. Guaranteed, we cannot do it alone. We need each other. We need the body of Christ, people who love us and who are there with us and can walk us in, walk with us in this journey, okay? So if, if you made a decision, I would invite you to come up. You don't have to do that if you feel uncomfortable, but we would love to pray with you. We'd love to give you these resources. Uh, and if you need prayer for anything, listen, maybe you're here and you, you love Jesus, it's great, everything's good, but you have, you know, some really hard stuff going on in your life right now. Um, we want to pray with you. That's what the body of Christ is for. I need prayer. I guarantee you, you come up to me and you say, hey, Neil, what do you need prayer for? I can give you a list, okay? I need prayer. We all need prayer. So uh, if you need prayer for any reason, please come up. We're going to respond and worship, and then we'll, uh, we'll let you guys in. So let's, let's worship.
Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. Yes, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are our living hope, Lord God, and in you we have life, and we have life in all its fullness. God, we give you the glory for that on Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, next week, next week we're going to be starting a new series called uh, Live on Purpose. And we're actually going to talk about meaning and calling and purpose, what that means in our lives, and, and dive into that. So it's going to be fun. Um, again, if you, you're here and you made that decision, um, I'm going to have these, we're going to have these cards, these I Have Decided cards at the back table over here. If you want to just take one of these, fill it out, and you can drop it in the offering box at the back or hand it to one of the staff. Again, we'd love to follow up with you guys. Love you guys. Have an awesome Easter, and we'll see you guys next week.